Good morning again, Midtown. Man, what a great start to the morning, right? Kids singing, baptisms. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, I do want to give a special welcome, especially to uh, families. I know there's probably families here that will come to watch uh, kids or grandkids, certainly families of, of Ariana and, and Cameron that came. So we welcome you guys. In addition to anyone else who's visiting for the first time, we hope that you've met someone during that break time and uh, hope that you continue to fellowship with us. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We're going to continue in our Advent series this morning. We've been taking kind of these five Sundays leading up to um, Christmas, looking really at five different characters, five different people in the Christmas story, and how they first responded when they heard the news about Jesus or when they first saw Jesus. And what's been really fun is we've looked at what, they've, what they learned about Jesus and how they responded, and each of the ways that they responded actually coincide with a part of what we try to do in worship on Sunday mornings. And so it's actually giving us during this Advent series a chance to talk about what we're aiming to accomplish on a Sunday morning as well. So if you were with us the last few weeks, the first week, I think we have it up here in the slides, we did uh, the angels and how the angels responded the first time that they heard the good news, that Jesus was, uh, he had come as Jesus, uh, Savior, Messiah, and they responded by singing. And so that, that week we got to talk a little bit about why we sing on a Sunday morning and why worship is important. Uh, the second week, we, Jake spoke about uh, God coming in the flesh, Emmanuel, and how Mary responded by pondering the truth in her heart. And so we use the opportunity to talk about what we try to do during this time of teaching and how on Sunday mornings it's a time for us to reflect on God's Word and, and ponder truth together in our hearts. So I'm really excited about today. Today we're actually going to look at the story of the wise men or the magi and the things that we're going to learn about who we should adore. We should adore Jesus as the very gracious gift that was given to us. And then how do we respond we respond by giving. And so we'll have a chance to talk about why we do things like the offering that we do on Sunday. Or you might be curious right now, wondering what all these things are right here. These are actually the toys that we've bought for Helping Hand Home. It's a, a, a Helping Hand Home is a place for foster children that many of us volunteer at here at the church. And many of you have contributed these gifts that we can now give them to distribute as birthday gifts uh, throughout the year. So we're really thankful for those of you who participated in that. So it'll give us a chance to talk about giving. Uh, I think that'll be fun for us. So let me pray, and we'll, we'll jump into reading the story of the Magi. God, we ask that you would be here. Uh, you already have been in so many fun ways. I'm sure you've already stirred our hearts, and we, we just ask that you continue to do so as we spend just a brief time reflecting on the story of the Magi. Would you uh, speak to our hearts, help us to receive you this day as a gracious gift, and, and then be motivated because you're giving to us to, to give to others that are in need. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll start in Matthew 2 if you want to follow along, but the words will be up on the screen as well. Matthew 2, 1 through 12 will be where we're, where we're at this morning. It says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is this one born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Here's how our story starts. And there's one thing that we're going to focus on is really that last line, that the purpose, the mission that they had, the mission of the Magi was to worship. They had come from afar with the purpose of actually worshiping Jesus. But first, let's talk just briefly about this Magi. There's a couple things in this story that we really don't know a whole lot about. This idea of Magi, or you maybe grew up talking about them as the wise men. Maybe you grew up talking about three, but there's really not three. It just says that there were Magi. Some people think that there were three because they gave three gifts at the end of the story. We don't really know much about them. Some people thought that they were astrologers based on their studying of the star and following the star. 
Some people thought that they were maybe uh, philosophy type of people that were real into just different religions and were very spiritual people. Some thought maybe they were even royalty that were just coming to visit a new king. The only thing that we really know for sure is that they came from the east. And what I love about that is that in this Christmas story, even the ones that we've already looked at thus far, we've looked at God coming to his people and the people of Israel and reminding them that this Messiah that they've been hoping for is coming. But what I love about this story of the Magi is you get right from the start that God has a heart for all peoples. Now he's going to people outside of the Israel community and he's revealing to these Magi the same things that he was revealing to them, that a Messiah was coming, that there was someone that was born, King of the Jews. And so we get a heart, an idea of God's heart for all people. We don't know much too about this revelation that there was a star that they followed. Some would say that it was like an astrological like phenomenon of something that happened. Uh, there's been a lot of people who've tried to go back now that we can actually study stars and even think back and can actually look at what stars looked like at that day and that time. And there's been a few cases that people would make for a couple of instances that it could have been. Um, I'm per- personally not convinced of those things. Others have thought that it was just a bright star that was always kind of a constant star, like a north star that they just continued to follow that was new to them. And others would say that it was actually just a supernatural event that God just created it just for them and for them to follow. Either way, we know that this was what drew them. But what I find interesting about it, it wasn't just the star. Because what would a star reveal to you, right? Like if a star just popped up, you wouldn't think, oh, that must be signifying that, that there's a king of the Jews. Clearly, they had some context for what type of event and where it was pointing toward in the people of Israel. And most people think that what would happen is that no matter where they were, most people think it was actually modern-day Iraq is where they came from, that during the the captivity of Assyria and the captivity of of the Babylonians, those were the people who took captive Israel, and they dispersed them throughout all the nations and took them with them. So it's very likely that these magi had already heard about this Messiah that had been prophesied, this Messiah that they knew was coming, that was going to be the king of the Jews. And so they probably had context for when they see this vision, knowing what it was. Later in the story, we're going to hear that God actually speaks to them in dreams. And so I believe that there are multiple layers of of revelation that would come upon these magi, that God was going to these people outside the people of Israel and revealing himself to them, ultimately pointing them to this day. But the main thing we want to focus on on our sermon today is, is why they came. And it's very specific. When they saw the star... It says that they rose, that that rose, they came to worship him. This was their intent. So I kind of want you to hold on to this idea of worship because when we think of worship, we might tend to only think of singing like we looked at a couple weeks ago, worship and singing. But we're going to see that worship, the way that they did worship, was that they gave gifts. It's another part of our worship. But let's look at a second character. The second character has a little bit different mission. That's King Herod. King Herod, it says that when he heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So they didn't go straight to King Herod. The, the Magi are actually showing up, and they're going out to Jerusalem asking this question, well, where is this king? Where is the king of the Jews that was born? And the people in Jerusalem don't know. They don't have an answer for it. They had nowhere to point him to. And so there's a stir that's in Jerusalem, and then Herod starts to hear about it, the king. And so when he had it, heard about it, he called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Much like the Magi, a Gentile King Herod also knew that this Messiah was coming because he was around the Israel people. He was around the Jewish people who had been speaking about this Messiah, and so he knew it. And he obviously saw it, you'll see later in the story, as some sort of competition. And so he's concerned about his own power and if there's another king because he was the king that had been reigning for 35 years at that time. So he gathers the leaders, the religious leaders, and says, where is this supposed to take place? 
says, but in you, this is what the, the, the religious leaders quote to him, in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. He's quoting now Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means the least among rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he says, here's where it's supposed to happen. But now here's what Herod does. He calls the Magi back to him. So he finally gets a hold of these guys that have been asking questions all around Jerusalem. And he calls them to him and secretly, because he's got a separate motive, he says, I want to, he said, I found out the exact time, the time that the star had appeared. So he asked them, so when did you first see this star? And you're going to see later, in a part that we're not going to read, that they traced it back to two years. That there was actually two years ago they said they saw the star. I'll get to that in a minute, why we know that it's two years. But then he says, tell me the exact time. And then he sends them. So it's been about a seven-mile walk. So seven miles away is where Bethlehem was from where they were. And he says, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me because I, too, want to worship him. But we know that's really not what he intended. His intent was to find out where this king was and to, to kill him. We're not going to read this part of the passage, but if you go further on in, in the passage, the Magi actually get a dream from God. We will read this part. And so they are told not to go back and report to Herod. And so they go back to their country a different way. And so Herod, concerned for his own power, he says, now I've got to protect this. And he says to his people, like, we want you to go kill every baby that was born in this area that's two years old or older, two years or younger, rather. And so that's where we get that this was about a two-year period. Maybe he was hedging his bets, and maybe it was one year ago that the Magi saw, and he's just wanting to be safe. That's possible. But somewhere within the realm of one to two years, he says, go kill all the children so I can just take care of it and be sure that the Messiah, the King of the Jews, has died. This is a little interesting because it's not actually recorded in history. Like if you study ancient history, this is one of the things that we don't actually know that Herod did. Uh, but we know that he executed lots and lots and lots of people for all kinds of reasons and unjust reasons. But there's not actually a historic record of this mass execution of children. But we're told in Scripture that he said it. And so we know at the very least that, that Herod himself had this in his heart to do. He was that type of guy. It's very possible that he actually told people to do it and they didn't do it, much like you read in the book of Exodus. If you read in the book of Exodus where the Pharaoh says, go kill all these babies and, the, and the, the mothers actually just don't do it. So it's possible he ordered it and it didn't happen. But whatever, or it's also possible that it just wasn't recorded in history other than right here. But either way, he had a different mission. His mission was to destroy this king of the Jews, not to worship him. We'll pick up the story and then we'll see actually what happens when they find Jesus now about two years old. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw this child with his mother Mary and bowed down to worship him. And they, they opened up their treasures and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So they again get this revelation. God leads them again by the star to where they were supposed to be. And this time Jesus is not in a manger. He's actually in the house. So technically a lot of our nativity scenes are wrong, right? When we have the wise men there, this was that, not at the manger. This was at Mary's house a couple years later. And then don't get lost with what they do. Now picture this. These men that have some sense of money and what they're going to present, they bow down to a two-year-old. They bow down to worship Jesus as a baby. 
proclaiming him to be king of the Jews, and they worship him. Think about how wild that is, especially you parents. Like, you know, you wouldn't be bowing down to your two-year-olds, right? <laughs> but here was a two-year-old that they're, they're acknowledging. This is the one that had been foretold, and this is the one that God's been revealing to us, likely in multiple ways, at least by a star, and now through a dream. This is the Messiah. But what we want to focus on is what they did. I love the phrasing, at least in the, in the New International Version, that says they opened up their treasures. So what is worship? Worship singing, sure, worship singing. But worship's so much more than just singing. Worship's every act of obedience. Worship is how we love each other. Worship is in giving. That's a part of the way that we worship God is by opening up our treasures and responding to Him generously, giving gifts to our church, giving gifts to other people, giving gifts to people who are in need, finding organizations that we believe in and, and funding them, supporting missionaries that go overseas. This is a way that we worship God is by our giving. Remember, that was their intent. They said, our intent is to come here to worship. And what did they do in their worship? They gave. I noticed at least two things. They gave generously. Uh, maybe these guys were of great wealth. We really don't know, but we know that they gave very expensive gifts. But it doesn't mean that we all have to give expensive gifts to worship. I love thinking about Jesus where he would let someone like Mary pour out like a whole thing of perfume on him. It cost like a year's wages and he would accept it. But then he'd also be sitting with his disciples and he'd, he would watch a widow come in and give just a coin or two. And he'd point to his disciples and say, that one that just gave the coin or two, she really gave. And so it's not the size of the gift. It's not the amount of the gift. We all have different means, but God calls us just to give in response joyfully. And they gave generously. I also noticed that they gave, they planned to give. These were gifts that they brought from the countries that they came from. I think that's very important to look at, that they intended to give. They planned on giving. So they took this journey with the stuff that they intended to give, and it was way more than just kind of paying homage to a king, like might be common in those days. It says that they came to worship him with these gifts. I think it's fine and it's good to give spontaneously. I think we should, like if there's an occasion or you see someone or God speaks to your heart and the Holy Spirit puts something on your mind to give, that's wonderful. But one of the best ways that we give in a worshipful way is to actually make plans to give, like to decide beforehand, here's the things that I'm going to give to the most simple command in Scripture about giving says that God would like that we would all give generously, not out of compulsion or guilt, but each one deciding in his own heart or her own heart what God's led them to give. And that's really the type of giving that I think is part of worship, is to, to get with God and to pray and say, God, what is it that you have me give to you? What are the causes and organizations? Who are the people in my life? What's the church that I'm a part of? And what would you have me give and plan on it? These guys took what they wanted to give a long way to go present it before Jesus. And then they get the revelation to go home another way. But I'd like to ask the question, though, what, would, what was it that stirred in their hearts to give so generously? What would it be that would actually stir in our hearts generously to make us give? You ever notice that, like, you're more prone to give if you've been given to? I mean, it's kind of like the spirit of Christmas season, right? Like, when someone's kind enough to give you a gift, there's like this kind of contagiousness to it that then you want to give a gift or you want to give a gift back or maybe not even back to them directly, but their gift actually motivates you to go give a gift to someone else. That's the nature of giving. And it's the nature of the giving of the Magi and it should be the nature of our giving, particularly as we respond to the greatest gift that God has given us in Jesus. It's not so much the story about 
what the Magi were giving. It's really a story about what God had given, that God had given them this long-awaited Messiah. Let's look at the verse that was read in the, in the um, Advent candle reading. Isaiah 9, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. This is the gift. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of his greatness, of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forward. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This may have even been one of the messianic promises that some of the Jews that were dispersed had even told the Magi. Something like this would have been what had given them hope to think that there would actually be a baby that would be born, the king. And we know that he couldn't come establish this kind of kingdom in his first earthly visit, that this was a heavenly kingdom that he came because he knew that what the people needed, more than freedom from Rome, more than freedom from their oppressors, was they needed freedom from themselves. They needed freedom from their sin. And so Jesus came ultimately to establish that kind of kingdom. When he was speaking to a guy named Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, Jesus said it this way. He said, so God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus, when he was on earth, he knew that this was what God did, that God sent his son as a gift. He gave it that those then who would receive it could have forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. This is the gift that the Magi were responding to. This is the gift that, that stirs our hearts to give because God has given to us. There's something different, though, about a gift, right? Gifts have to be received. You can't just keep, give a gift. You could actually let it sit here. We could leave today and leave all these gifts sitting right here and not take them to Helping Hand Home. Gifts have to be received. That's why I find John's version of the Christmas story in John 1 uh, very compelling. It says this in John 1, 9. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to those who did receive him, and those who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. He's come, yet people didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. I think back to the, to the Christmas story, like if you really think about it, this has been two years. Two years, and these magi show up in Jerusalem and they're asking this question and no one can point them to the right place. Even as we study the, the, the Christmas story during this Advent season, we're going to see that God reveals himself to Mary, to Joseph, to Elizabeth. We see the shepherds that hear of it, Anna, uh, we'll see, and Simeon. But no one else picks up the scene until two years later. And there's the magi looking, and, and here it was that Jesus had come, but his own people didn't recognize him. I wonder how true that is of us in our day, and, and it lends our hearts for our, for our friends who have yet to recognize Jesus, that we so desperately want them to follow Jesus with us, to know that they just, they just don't see him. So we pray and we ask that God would stir in their hearts, just as someone likely prayed for us, that God would stir in our hearts, that we would be baptized and that we would say, yes, we see you, Jesus, and we respond to you. Love, too, that we don't have to do anything to do it. This isn't religion. This isn't work your way back to God. It says to those who received him, Jesus said, 
It's to those who believe in me will have eternal life. It's as simple as putting our faith in Christ and believing him. So I ask, have you, have you received him? Have you put your faith in him and responded to this gospel and said, yes, I receive you, Jesus? I pray that our eyes would be open to recognize him. And that's really receiving the gift of Jesus is what motivates us to give. It's our fitting response, just as it was for the Magi. In fact, this is the way that the, the authors of the rest of the New Testament, when they start talking about giving, almost every time they point their giving back to how God had given himself to us and Jesus. Let me read from 2 Corinthians 8. If you're familiar, 2 Corinthians 8 9 is kind of two of the biggest chapters on giving when Paul's giving some instruction about giving. And here's what he says. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love that we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you've known the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, so that you through his poverty, might become rich." First thing I'd say in response to this is that, that giving is part of growing spiritually. Giving is part of spiritual maturity. Look the way it says. It says, for since you excel in everything. Now, he's listing ways that we grow as Christians in our faith. In our faith, our speech, our knowledge, our earnestness, our love. He could have listed a ton of different things, like ways that, that we can grow in our faith in Christ. And as we spiritually mature, we, we do demonstrate more faith. We long for more faith. We do demonstrate more holiness, and we want more holiness. We do demonstrate more kindness, and we want more kindness. Paul's saying that just as you want to grow in all these other areas of your life, he wants them to excel in the grace of giving. That giving is a sign of spiritual maturity, that as we grow, we should become more and more and more giving. That's spiritual maturity. I like that my pastor at my old church, he actually had like a, a thing that I think Brendan and I am now trying to follow, where he made a commitment that his goal was just every year of his life to give a little bit more of his income. Income's changed, so probably in percentage to his income, but just every year he just said, I want to grow in the grace of giving by continuing to give more and more every single year. And just like every other area of our life, we all have, we're all at different places in maturity. Some people are doing much better struggling with their anger and their spiritual maturities. Others are really struggling with anger, and that's an area that they need to grow. Well, the same is true about giving, that there's some of us who have really mature and have walked out giving and being generous toward the church and toward others for much of our lives, and other of us are maybe just starting to take baby steps, and that's not to discourage anyone. I just want to point out that this is part of spiritual maturity, that we would grow in giving, and I think that we can. I think about helping in home. I think about December that's going on right now and other causes that we've been giving to. And I just encourage us, have you ever made it your aim to grow in the grace of giving? Like That's what Paul's encouraging here. Like, Let's grow to be more and more giving day by day, year by year. But then what he always does is he points us back to the exact model. And Jesus is our model in giving. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, you've got to have a little context for that statement. He's actually pointing back to the church in Macedonia. So he's, Paul is actually raising money to come bring back to the Jerusalem church. And the Gentile churches at that time had far more money. And so he's saying, I want these churches that have a little bit more resources 
to give, and I'm going to collect all this and bring this back to the poor church in Jerusalem. So when he's writing the Corinthians, he's saying, hey, I just visited Macedonia, and these guys were very, very generous, and now I'm wanting to ask that you would do the same. He's not commanding them. He's saying, I just want you to hear the story of others. And that's what I love about giving, that giving's contagious. Jesus did talk about not letting our left hand know what our right hand is doing when it comes to giving. I think he said that, though, more a matter of the heart and the posture by which we let people know that we give. Otherwise, we wouldn't have countless scriptures to look to, to to actually be motivated. Like we're studying one right now, right, of the Magi who were looking at their example and saying, yeah, we should give generously. Like it's okay to point to different stories so long as you're not doing it for your own selfish purposes or trying to win rewards for people or anything like that. But giving should be contagious. This should be contagious to look at this and, and stir our hearts and think, yeah, we, we want to give. We want to find a, a nonprofit to give to. We want to be contagious in our giving. But he doesn't stop by comparing to the Macedonian churches. He goes directly back to Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He always points back to the gospel as our motive. Ultimately, what we do when we come to the gospel and remember what Jesus has done for us, which I hope your heart has been stirred even by hearing testimonies today, it reminds us that it's not so much about what we give, it's what God has given us. And as we dwell on that, remember that Jesus, for our sake, literally left the holy huddle, perfect communion with God the Father and God the Spirit, came down in earthly form as a baby, as a gift And now anyone who would believe in his name could have eternal life. Like this gift is what's meant to stir our hearts to give, motivating us to be generous because God has been so generous with us. He's the gift, and we give in response to how he's given. We said with this series, one of the things that we want to do is we want to have a little extra time to think about in our worship service how we do these things. And so what I want to do is spend a few minutes of just quiet and give us time of reflection and just to ask God, God, is there anything before this year ends that you would have me give toward? Maybe there's an individual, a family member, a homeless person that you know, a charity, this church, that you would just prayerfully say, God, is there anyone or anything that you would put on my heart that I could give generously to in response to the gospel? I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And before they actually start singing, uh, they're going to play a little bit and give you this time of reflection. I hope that you get something out to write with. And if God puts something on your heart, to make a note of it so that you would say, yes, God, I'm going to do this before the year ends. I'm going to be generous as you lead me. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this gift of Jesus that by his name, we can be saved. Thank you for the testimonies of that today. and Even remind us in this time of quiet how you have saved each of us who've put our faith in you. Let us be reminded by the gospel of that. The good news that you became a man to die for our sins, to rise again that you could give us newness of life. And ask God if anyone's here who is, who is yet to receive you, that would be like one of those that would say, I've not recognized him. That even today you would stir in their heart and they would put their faith in you by just speaking to you in prayer now and telling, telling you that they, 
believe you and they want Jesus. Finally, God, we ask that you would, even now in this, this few minutes here, speak to our hearts and show us something or someone that we can be generous toward this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.